Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, welcome back to To the Point Cybersecurity. This is Carolyn Ford standing in for Erica Pierce this week. And I'm joined by Eric Trexler. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing great, Carolyn. I almost said Erica. Good <laughs> to have you back. Well, thank you. It's always fun to fill in for Erica. They're, they're big shoes to fill, but um, this is a fun, fun podcast. So this week, um, we're joined by Randy Sandone, and he is the executive director of the Critical Infrastructure Resilience Institute, or CIRI which is a Department of Homeland Security Center of Excellence. Welcome to the show, Randy. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much. I'm delighted for the opportunity. Randy, tell us, what is CIRI? No problem. We call it Siri. Uh, makes it easy. Ah. Um, Siri is, yeah, we are a Department of Homeland Security Center of Excellence. We're funded out of the Science and Technology Directorate, specifically the um, Office of University Programs. There's a, a constellation of centers of excellence around the country uh, that do academic research on behalf of DHS and its various components. And we're, uh, we're one of those, obviously focused on critical infrastructure resilience. We're led here by the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, uh, where our team resides. Um, and as a center of excellence, we're really an evolving confederation of world-class ac academic institutions and private sector companies. And doing our research, we reach out to the best minds um, in the business that we can find to, to conduct our research and develop our solutions. So it's not just a, a static team. Uh, we're in our fifth year uh, of, uh, of operation, and uh, we have three primary missions here. Uh, the first is to conduct innovative outputs-oriented research. And I stress outputs-oriented uh, because that really differentiates us uh, from what you might consider typical academic research organizations. Now, DHS um, is perfectly happy and, and they um, encourage us as academic researchers to publish um, our academic uh, research in, in journals, um, educate grad students and, and so forth to, to follow our uh, academic mission. But only to the extent that we are delivering something meaningful, some output that gets out and transitions to you. So I wanted to ask Randy, the research that you guys do, are you looking to the future of what technology, like where it's headed and specifically cybersecurity and cyber, what the coming trends are? So when you say research, I guess what I'm asking is define that a little bit more. Sure. Yes, we, obviously we are. But, um, but there, there's a sense of urgency um, uh, on the part of Department of Homeland Security because the, the issues are today. Uh, the threats are, t are, are today, uh, the challenges are today, but we also have to think uh, into the future. So um, our research really kind of spans uh, that, that spectrum. Um, we, we look at current challenges 
that are facing uh, critical infrastructure, and we try to extrapolate and understand, bring our, our understanding of, of where the technology is trending and, and what we anticipate in the future as we, as we develop uh, solutions for those particular challenges so that they don't just address the, the issues of today, but will have some sustainability uh, going forward. Randy, what I'm hearing you say is it's, it's more practical than theoretical. That is absolutely correct. Can you give us an example or two? Oh, sure. Um, well, for instance, in, in, the, in the space of uh, uh, cybersecurity, um, obviously one of the challenges uh, that, that businesses have, particularly the, uh, the smaller and medium-sized businesses, is, is with all of the threats and all the vulnerabilities that are out there, um, how do they, one, identify those vulnerabilities, and, and two, come up with a prioritized uh, mitigation strategy, right? They can't, they can't address all of the problems right away. So we've developed through, the, for, through Old Dominion University um, a product called uh, CRISM, uh, Cyber Risk Scoring and Mitigation Tool, that uh, scans um, a network of systems, identifies vulnerabilities. That in and of itself is not rocket science, but it goes a step further um, and it looks at those vulnerabilities and then um, through, through its, uh, its algorithms um, assesses the exploitability of those particular vulnerabilities and then ranks them and uh, delivers a uh, prioritized risk mitigation strategy. And it does this all in an automated way, um, easing the burden on the part of, of businesses. So then they have a, um, a prioritized uh, mitigation plan uh, that will be optimized uh, you know, for their, for their uh, cyber risk reduction. That's just one example of, of, of many. How does that differ from the, the network and endpoint vulnerability scanners that are out there today? The tenables of the world and everybody else have been doing this for a couple of decades now. Um, it, it, it differentiates itself in, in the sense of being able to, um, in real time, of course, it's collecting all of the, uh, the vulnerability estimates, but it, its algorithm allows the um, uh, understanding of the potential attack paths that one, that an attacker might take um, uh, based on those vulnerabilities. Um, and it ranks them based on its uh, Bayesian algorithm um, to, um, to, to then identify the, uh, the potential uh, exploitability of the various um, vulnerabilities. A vulnerability in and of itself, um, uh, what's, what's important about it is that a vulnerability might lead to uh, uh, the ability to exploit that vulnerability, but the exploitation would have very minimal uh, impact. On the other hand, another vulnerability obviously might, um, uh, might be exploited to much greater effect. What do you, what would you say the biggest vulnerability or one of the biggest vulnerabilities we have with critical infrastructure? People. <laughs> and so, agree. Seriously. No. Yeah, oh, agree. yeah. No, we, we completely agree with that. At a, at, at a higher level, at a technical level, uh, when we look at critical infrastructure, of course, it's a very, the good news for us is it's a very broad aperture. The bad news for us is it's a very broad aperture. Um, and, um, you know, critical infrastructure um, is highly interdependent um, and, and, and sort of one of the bigger challenges at a macro level 
is in the interdependencies of the various critical infrastructure because uh, the different infrastructure sectors uh, tend to be siloed in the sense that, you know, the, the, the electric grid is responsible for, for itself. The, the transportation guys are responsible for transportation, et cetera, et cetera. But it's the interdependency that, that can, and, and too often um, gets left on the cutting room floor. So somebody has to address the, the interdependencies. But um, I think just sort of cybersecurity wide, even companies, the government across the board, I think one of our primary vulnerabilities out there is, is people. So when you're working with DHS, I mean, are they guiding you in the direction that they want you to take? Are you going to them with research ideas and saying, hey, this is an area we can spend some time and, and really move the needle? How, how does that all work? It's a combination of those two. Yeah, sure. Um, DHS obviously will will collect our, out of the University of, uh, Programs Office. Um, they will collect challenges, research challenges from the various components, whether that's CISO or FEMA or the Coast Guard or what have you. Um, and and they might feed the, those challenges to the various centers of excellence that are dealing with that particular domain. Um, and they, so they will present challenges to us uh, to, to address. Uh, on the other hand, uh, they expect us as, as academic researchers uh, to come to them uh, with areas where we think we need to uh, expend some, some uh, intellectual capital and, and some of uh, DHS's capital. And so it's a, it's a managed research portfolio that combines um, inputs from uh, Department of Homeland Security and their various components, as well as inputs from uh, from acad- academia itself and and, uh, and our team as we as we look at the uh, results from our various research programs. Okay, and you, and you mentioned people are the biggest threat. I think, you know, I, I'd agree and disagree. I, I I believe. I mean, they're the biggest threat. They're the biggest asset. But what type of work specifically are you doing? to solve that problem? How do we, how do we as an industry solve that problem or how do we as a community? Cause I, I agree with you. And I think most people would agree there's a human capital problem here as it relates to cybersecurity to a great extent. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a, that, I, we could, we could devote an entire uh, podcast to that, that topic alone, uh, Eric, I'm sure you would agree. Um, uh, Basically, in, in terms of the, the human capital, I mean, we, we think it's a very, very important area of, of study and, and focus for us. Um, for instance, we know that it's been widely reported and there's a severe shortage of what I'll say, qual- quote, qualified cybersecurity professionals. Unquote. Right. And it's getting worse. Um, yep. it's clearly it'll be next year, it'll be that, over two million people short. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we should be discussing it and, and working on solutions to address that shortage. Um, however, I think the issue raises a couple of concerns. That, that particular issue raises a couple of concerns for me. Um, first of all, I think, uh, unfortunately, far too often when people think of the term qualified cybersecurity professionals, they're only talking about uh, technical cybersecurity types, you know, the software engineers and programmers, the systems and cir- security administrators, you know, the folks that work in the uh, security operations center. And I think that's a dangerous mindset because it tends to perpetuate, um, you know, the belief that cybersecurity is the sole responsibility of, of the techies. Um, 
you know, and and what it can also do is cause some business managers and government leaders to to throw up their hands in frustration, uh, believing that the, the, that shortage is the root of all of their cybersecurity issues. And if it only if, if they could only hire enough technically qualified people, they'd solve all their problems. Yeah, it still doesn't work. You're, you're right. It, I mean, the workforce is a problem. We, we've had a we've had several guests on the podcast. And I, I think the consensus is, you know, we, we need to train the workforce more, but no matter what we do, we're still going to have problems, right? People are still going to click on phishing links. Yeah. You know, I, I, I forget the data at this point, the statistic, but it was, you know, the majority of the attacks these days are, um, or maybe it was ransomware attacks, or, you know, they're, they're led by phishing email, right? It's Yeah, which is shocking yeah. because, I mean, that brings... Yeah. You back to your point, Randy, that it really is, you know, the people, because there's so many of us, and if if ninety percent of the breaches are happening by simple phishing, by social engineering, basically, it's not that right, sophisticated. But, yes. but the I think the yes. other problem that we don't address as an industry well enough is it only takes one mistake, so you can train. Out of a million people, you can train 999,999 to perfection. But if one person makes a mistake, you could be doomed anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And I think, yes, that's true. And I think a sober assessment of, of the situation is we have to recognize that there there really is no such thing. And I think this is a, a healthy thing to understand. There is no such thing as, quote, unquote, solving our cybersecurity problems. We'll never solve our cybersecurity problems. Well, all we can do is manage them. And so we, we focus on cyber risk management. How do we, what can we do? Uh, what tools can we develop and, 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 and transition to market that will help companies and government agencies reduce their cyber risk to a manageable level? Uh, in the private sector, and particularly what we're trying to do is, is, is help reduce that, that risk uh, to the point where the uh, the insurance industry, the cyber insurance industry, um, can better understand and assess the risk of these various uh, companies, uh, so that the cyber insurance market can can uh, appropriately mature. Right now, the cyber insurance uh, the insurance industry is is, is uh, smacking their lips at 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 the possibility of this huge potential market in in cyber insurance. Um, but the problem is it's very difficult for them to assess their underwriting risk, um, particularly if they try to go to each and every company um, uh, that that wants to be insured and try to assess their own homegrown, um, you know, uh, do-it-yourself uh, cyber risk management processes and, and, and security approach. It just can't be done. So, um, you know, we think it, it's it's a, a very important problem to address uh, because the, the the function of insurance in in, in the marketplace. We, we we obviously we understand we can't function in business without insurance, and what it its its function is risk transfer. And so we'd like to get to a point where we we employ the mechanisms um, and the policies and procedures and tools necessary to reduce the risk at the, at the company. Um, as, so that that residual risk that needs to be transferred through insurance um, is minimized and that the insurance industry um, has a, a, a solid 
ability to assess that risk across the, the, the potential insured, which will lower premiums and reduce the number of exclusions that they, that they demand. Carolyn, I, I personally think that is one of the biggest areas where we can move the needle. I don't know how you feel, but Absolutely. you know, we can, we can assess risk. We can we can hold people somewhat accountable um, through the financial means. You know, there are definitely challenges. It's early on. How do you assess the risk? How do you ensure? How do you, how do you keep things up to date? Um, but I, I agree. I think that's a big area we should push on. Yeah, and is that part of your mission? like mandated by by DHS, Randy, to, to work with these private insurance companies? Yeah, we, we've been doing research in the in the uh, insurance space for, for quite some time since actually since the the, uh, the beginning of our um, of our center. Um, and because they recognize it, here's the the reality when I, I mentioned, you know, the broad aperture of critical infrastructure, I think it also has to be said that the vast majority of the critical infrastructure in this country is owned and operated by the private sector. Yep. Um, that, that's clear. So if we're going to have an impact, right, if we're going to, you know, move the needle, uh, as you say, Eric, um, we have to do that with the private sector, right? Um, and the private sector runs on uh, business incentives, the business case, right? So, um, it, one of our goals is to, um, to help facilitate um, the, the, the creation of the business case to get businesses to open their wallets, uh, their checkbooks, um, to, and to expend intellectual and financial capital on enhancing security and resilience of, of their enterprises. And you do that through business incentives and one of the strongest business incentives um, in the marketplace is insurance. So it was logical that we would go there and, and we've, we've really developed some very keen insights. And I, I couldn't agree with you more, Eric, that that's a, it's a very important area um, for, for us as a nation to, to focus attention on. In, in critical infrastructure specifically, I, I've been caught too many times in cases where, you know, we had DHS, we had NSA, we had the commercial organization. If, if it was power or generation transmission, you know, you probably have Department of Energy in there. Um, and I'm not just talking breaches, but even, you know, what should we do? How do we do it? And, and, and the problem is nobody's in charge. As I, as I, as I said many times before, if, if somebody puts an aircraft over U.S. airspace, it's pretty clear that the Air Force is in charge of dealing with that, that potential risk. Cybersecurity, though, if somebody attacks a power generation plant, Obviously, the commercial power generation plant has a problem to deal with. But what is DHS's role? What is NSA's role? What is Department of Energy's role? What is what is Siri's role potentially? You know, I think that delineation isn't there. But I do believe that private insurance will bring everybody up to a to a level and, and will definitely help in the problem. I don't know if you agree or disagree on that one, Randy. No, I, I do agree, and I agree. I agree with your overall assessment, um, and that is clearly one of the biggest challenges that that we face, and DHS faces as well. Is that is, um, you know, again, this this is a a huge, huge economy, and, and and when you talk about the nation's critical infrastructure, you're talking about thousands and thousands of companies and, and millions of people involved. Um, all interdependent, 
um, with one another. Um, and, and you're right, you know, as I indicated previously, this sort of this silo mentality. I mean, I'm, I'm only responsible for my sector, but, you know, for crying out loud, a, a breach in some other sector can, can have cascading effects on me. DHS is struggling with that. We're struggling with it as well. And that's why we're focusing a lot on the interdependencies of, of, of these, you know, different critical infrastructure mm -hmm. sectors. Now, DHS also, um, uh, has modified some of their thinking. And I think it was, uh, it was very, very wise for them to do. They went from, uh, the notion of 16 critical infrastructure sectors, um, to, uh, to, to parsing it on the basis of national critical functions, right? Because, um, when you focus it more on this, the, a, a critical function, like providing, um, uh, air travel for, for, for people, um, and you need to keep that function operating, well, that by definition takes into account um, all of the different uh, interdependent uh, infrastructure. So they're moving in the right direction. It's a huge, huge problem. Um, and uh, it's going to take years for us to uh, uh, collectively uh, to address it. Where do we end up in 2025, 2030? I mean, what, what does the future look like in your opinion? What are you studying? What are you seeing? 2025 will, will, We'll show some progress um, in in numbers. I'll, I'll talk about that, but I, I think it will also. It's also we're already seeing um, a, a whole new um, uh, spectrum of of threats and, and vulnerabilities. And where I think we'll see progress is we're beginning to see this push to um, uh, on the boards of directors on the on the. On the, on the in case of uh, the Department of Defense, government agencies, prime contractors, supply chain heads, uh, to um, insist on more uh, responsible cyber uh, hygiene on the part of their their partners. Um, in the case of boards of directors, on the on, on the part of their uh, uh, of their companies, um, and, and I think these forces, these uh, business uh, forces, uh, market forces, are going to uh, and obviously, I think they're, go they're going to, to force uh, a greater sense of responsibility and, and push more towards what we call a more holistic approach to cybersecurity. Um, that holistic approach, in, in my view, um, is necessary uh, because I think I've been at this cybersecurity business for 30 years, um, and for 30 years, we've been throwing technical products at the problem, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of products out there. Many, if not most of them do very good things. Um, but the notion that we can, we can simply solve our cybersecurity problems by throwing products at the problem, um, I, I think is, is misguided. Um, we, we talk about the three P's. We need to focus on process, people, and products. We need to have standardized processes that uh, that that the entire supply chain understands and and uh, on a common common language, common metrics. Um, we need to address the people issues we discussed earlier, um, and then we can we, we we obviously need products as well, uh, no question about it. Uh, but what we we need to do is is we need to understand what products we need, why we need them, how we're to deploy them who's going to be maintaining them and matching the, the competencies uh, of those people uh, to the roles that they, that they fulfill. That's a big issue. 
right? But I think we're making, uh, and, and we'll, over the next so many years, we'll, we'll make good progress there. Where I think we're going we're gonna to see widening challenges in, is in the whole area of, uh, uh, of 5G, IoT, uh, and the increasing uh, use of, of, of those technologies and wireless communications and so forth. It just significantly broadens the uh, the the uh, the, the, the aperture, right? yeah. The aperture. Um, um, it in it increases the interdependency. Um, you know, it's it's very clear, and we we've, we've all heard the uh, um, and read the reports about uh, the concerns that the federal government has with with Huawei. Well, it's it's pretty simple. Um, in so many years, five G is going to be fundamental to our national economy. And we don't want to be able to get a phone call from somebody say, you want me to bring down your economy, right? So, um, you know, we're doing research right now um, and looking at 5G uh, and, and the, the vulnerabilities, uh, the potential vulnerabilities of the architecture. We're looking at the supply chain of 5G. Um, we're looking at the um, emergency communication systems in this country, which is moving to, to 5G and, and next generation 911. Um, and, um, and, and so we're going back to, to uh, Carolyn's earlier question. We're looking forward in that. Um, we've been we spurred to do that um, uh, by, by DHS. Um, and, um, and so I think that will be a challenge, but we're at least we're, we're one player that's that's taking a look um, in advance of, of where where those threats might be might be emanating and see if we can't get ahead of the problem. Well, Randy, as usual, time is beating us, but um, you've brought up some things, especially 5G. I mean, I've thought about that a lot this year, obviously, because it's been a big topic. And I would love to have you back and uh, talk more about some of the, the other things that you've brought up um, this conversation's been interesting and and honestly a little terrifying to me, especially as we start thinking about the critical infrastructure. Um, but thank you very much for being on the podcast, and we'd love to have you back. I'd be delighted to come back. Thank you very much for your opportunity. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thirty years, and we're still buying products. Like, is that the, still as, thirty as if that's years? The solution really? isn't it crazy? It is. It is. Actually, it's more than 30. It's, uh, I think the first malware virus was 90, 1987 or so in Pakistan. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's crazy well, I, uh, that we just keep repeating the same mistakes. But thank you for your time, Randy. And I, again, I, I, I think we need to focus on the three Ps, uh, process, people, and product. Product, yeah. Um, no, I agree. Yeah. Well, let's right. talk about it more next time. And... Thank you again. Thanks to all of our listeners out there. Please continue to tune in every week to To The Point Cybersecurity. Subscribe on, all, on iTunes or the podcast platform of your choice and give us a rating and let us know what you want to hear us talk about. Until next time, thank you. Thanks, Carolyn. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 